You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practice Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron and I got a great one for you today. If you're a dentist and you're just getting started, or you're early in your career, or you're a dentist that's approaching transition, you have to listen to this podcast. I have my good friend, Paul Slutton on today. And we ask the question, are you selling your practice or buying your practice under ideal conditions or under duress? And as you're going to see, those are two completely different sales. So I hope you enjoy the episode. We'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practice Show podcast. I love this. I love this. I'll tell you why, because I love this great profession. I love to surround myself with great people that give us great insight. And one of my good friends today in dentistry is going to help us with one of the most important things you're ever going to do in dentistry is eventually sell your practice. And we want to make sure that you get the right information and the right thinking because there's two ways this can go. You can sell under ideal conditions or you can sell under duress. And we're going to be talking about how those two sales are completely different with my friend, Paul Slutton. So, Paul, thanks for being on, buddy. I appreciate you. Glad to be with you. Yeah. Now, again, I want to do this only because you've been on here many times and you're going to continue to be on here because you're our voice of reason when it comes to transition and other things. Uh, but I want people to know who you are. So give us a little bio before we go down this path. Who's Paul Slutton? Glad to. Uh, I own a business uh, in Denver, Colorado, and we work exclusively with dentists who are planning and implementing practice transitions. And uh, that means anything from selling a practice, buying a practice, growing by acquisition, putting partnerships together, taking toxic partnerships apart, uh, and everything in between. So we work with dentists at all phases and ages in terms of their, their practice life as well. And uh, we've I've done more than 4,000 practice transitions in my long career, and I'm still enjoying it every time. Yeah. 
and you do an excellent job of it. And you're my guy when, uh, when it comes to all things transition, I'm like, just talk to Paul. Now I'm going to preface this by saying, you know, this is, this is, this is actually one of the most interesting conversations I have in dentistry, 25 years of doing this. And oftentimes when it comes to a sale, we pull in other people. And right around 12, 13 years ago, I was pulling in all these people, including you. And before we'd even get into the details, I go, hey, Paul, I got one. And the question, and you even asked it one time, okay, I just, I got one question. Does the doctor need the money or not need the money of the sale? And so can you just talk about that and what that means if I'm a young listener? I sure can. That question really identifies something really important when you're gonna have a sale or a closing. If the seller comes to the closing table in a financially needy position, they've gotta score a big win. Look out buyer, because it's liable to be a biased process, a stacked deck, if you will, because they've got to scratch every cent out of the sale of that practice. And uh, if they've done a great job planning and, and implementing their plan financially over their career, the sale of the practice, even though it's a big number typically in a healthy practice, is, is really only the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to have a win-win outcome, you can't have someone needy sitting at that closing table. Yeah. Now I'm going to throw some generalizations in here and you can dispel them one by one, but we're going to be dealing with stated value or estimated value. Um, if I need the money, which is obviously I'm going to drive that value as much as possible. And so that's when the data gets a little weird. The other thing, and again, making a generalization about this, because I have many doctors that are looking to sell, but they're like, I love my team. No, nobody gets this practice unless it's the right person type of a thing. Um, so you've got that dynamic. Let's go to the first one, stated value, you know? What are you, uh, what are I, don't you even, I don't even know if I have a question in that one, but like, okay. uh, you know, the value, it, it gets a little weird sometimes what, you, you know, the, the estimated value of the practice. It's not always yes. like a true value of the practice. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. I think the, uh, I think an ideal sale price, selling price for a practice is what a talented buyer can afford to pay for it reducing the debt and retiring the debt over a reasonable period of time, say seven to 10 years, and getting an ever improving lifestyle in the process. So they're not an indentured servant while they're paying off the practice. I think that's what a a practice is worth. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily fit a bucket. You know, you heard all of these formulas in the past, or you'd read them in dental economics, they'd say 1.5 times you know, the estimated net profit of the practice. It's, I mean, that's, that's typically true, but now it's really what a fair fee that somebody could, you know, have a great, great career with. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly right. What, uh, one and a half times the net is still in play. 
It is. As a measuring stick for sure. Okay. So I'm getting older and I can tell these stories now without any resistance. But like I told a dentist one time, I'm like, listen, you're going through all this process and you're going to pay big money. And it's, and he's like, well, I need somebody to, I'm like, it's going to end up in the ballpark of 1.5 times the net. So I got a text from him. Yeah. I just paid like 20 grand for somebody to send me a 72 page report. Guess where it ended up? I'm like, where? He goes, it's exactly 1.5 times the net. I'm like, you know, you could have saved a few dollars. No, you still need a, you still need an expert helping you navigate this. But Paul, here's one of the questions I have. Let's say I'm a buyer. Can I ask the dentist, you know, do you need the money or do you not need the money? Is that out of bounds asking that question if I'm a buyer? I don't think so. I don't think I can ask that question early in the process. Okay. But as you're going through the process, certainly. What, that's that's a question we ask everyone that wow. we're helping sell a practice. What kind of condition are you in for your retirement? And what sort of a uh, contribution do you, does the sale of your practice need to make? And, and we get right on that topic up front. It, it's, and, and sometimes in those situations, sometimes, not always, um, the seller is going to come to us and literally tell us up front, here's what I need out of the sale of my practice. And we very nicely let them know that this isn't the way it works. Yeah. Your yeah. practice is going to be worth what it's worth. Yeah. Based on a whole bunch of criteria. And uh, and we're going to do a formal practice valuation. Yeah. Maybe take us back behind the curtains. What is what does one side of it look like and what is the other side of the curtain? So, you know, you're you get to do this a lot. What's what do ideal conditions look like and what does duress really look like? OK. Ideal conditions would be where you have a healthy owner and a, and a practice trending well. It's not, maybe it's a little bit flat, but it's not in decline. So it's a healthy practice. You've got a good team in place. You have a good reputation. You have, you have a good net profit. You have a, a good patient numbers. Or in the case of a specialty practice, you've got good referral base and, and that kind of thing. So it's all systems go. It's something that someone is going to be able to step into and and write it into their own successful career because it's just really doing well. That's that's what I we call ideal conditions. Those are IQ and then duress. Define duress. duress. Is, yeah, duress is when when some when when the the owner of the practice is is ill or is injured or has died. Uh, and and the practice has been impacted in a huge way by those conditions. And so here you have some, a real high, strong sense of urgency to get it sold as fast as you possibly can. You still want to sell it to the right person and, and, you, and all of that. But, but everybody needs to have a, a plan for selling under ideal conditions and a plan for what do you do if something bad happens, God forbid. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I, you know, the whole idea of having a good plan. Now, if you're a dentist and you're just getting started, I want you to think about this. There's a chance that you're going to have 20 plus million dollars come in and out of your hands just owning a business. You're going to be doing this for 30 years. 
you know, if you have a good practice, you might collect, I mean, $30 million might come in and out of your hands. Your challenge is to put some systems in place that you're sequestering a percentage of that. Think about how easy that would be further down the line. You also need the help of experts like Paul or others where you're checking every box. Having a good, you know, disability plan in place is key. I, this didn't happen many yeah. times, but uh, unfortunately we lost a dentist in Canada in a terrible accident. And I thought he was brilliant and he had no life insurance. And I, he was 43 oh. years old. And I thought to myself, that's a missed, like, that's not our expertise, but that is a huge miss. And so yeah. if you're listening, make sure you got somebody checking all the boxes so that when you do get to the finish line or finish line approaches you, you know, it falls on one side or the other. What are some other things we need to know about these two types of sales, Paul? If you're in a, uh, we, we've had so many situations that we've had to deal with and help with over my career where where suddenly someone becomes ill or is in an accident or dies in a plane crash or takes their own life uh, and, and everything imaginable in between. Um, and that kind of a practice uh, needs to be, as I said, sold quickly. But it, what, what happens under duress is that people need to move swiftly in that and they typically don't. Imagine someone dying and then the family is grieving, the spouse is, is grieving, and there's no action taken on the practice because they don't know what to do. They don't know whether to retain the team, they don't know whether to close the practice, they don't know, and typically months can go by where they're not getting any activity and taking any action on it and the practice is losing value. So you need to have a plan in place where you have a contact. You can call us, you can call your attorney, you can call your CPA and, and get some action going and designate one of the family members as the go-to person for the third parties who are gonna be involved in this so we can have direct access. And typically that is not the spouse. Yeah. It, it, but, it, but it needs to be a family member or, a, or somebody on the team who's a key player who can get you the information you're requesting regarding the practice and all of that. And then you've got to coach them on how to hold the team together. You've got to hold the patient base in place if it's a general practice. You've got to keep the practice open, which means keep the team in place. Yeah. And you've got to communicate to the patients. Uh, sometimes it's a news story that everybody becomes aware of what happened, and most times it's not. But you still have to let them know what's going on and let them know that they still have that practice as their, as their dental home and that you're going to have the practice covered and that you're going to, in a very reassuring way, you're going to be doing an immediate search to find someone terrific to come in and take over the practice. Yeah. So, and that was going to be one of my questions on the timetable. So the sale under duress, the timetable's stressed. I mean, you, it, on much. both sides. And yeah. then let's go to the timetable on the other side, ideal conditions, because I do get this. If I'm looking to sell or transition, the timetable's probably going to be a lot longer 
and a less stressful journey in that. I, I mean, let's just let's just spitball here, but if I'm a dentist that's 62 looking to transition, what's my timetable and I'm in fairly ideal conditions? How long is this going to take? Okay, if you're in solo practice, uh, a minimum of three years, five is more ideal. If you think about the process here now, under ideal conditions, you're going out and looking for somebody and, you, and you're going to be patient to find someone who fits your practice culture. And, and uh, that is so important. And you have to be prepared for, for the search and placement process itself, taking anywhere from six to 18, maybe sometimes 24 months. If you're living in a rural area, uh, because it's harder to recruit to those settings, it might be three or four years that, that it will take. Right. Um, and, and you won't have a lot of activity. It's not like listing a house where, where all of a sudden you've got open houses on, on Saturdays and, and things like that and lots of activity. So sometimes the activity is slow and ponderous, but uh, you need the lead time. Yeah. And I've heard this phrase used a lot in dentistry is that like when you're under stress in a situation like this, you're going to pick the least worst option, which is a terrible phrase, but it's absolutely true. Absolutely. In an ideal situation, you might have an ideal option at some point or at least more options. Now, let's use that word a little bit. The word options, I would just imagine, Paul, you've got more options if if you've been preparing for this. I might sell the practice outright. I might sell part of the practice. I, you know, I met a dentist at the CDA. He's like, you know, I actually love dentistry. And so I just sold half of the practice one day. Then I kept half of it and sold another half of it. And it grew. I just kept selling halves. And now I got like six checks coming in every single month. He told me, tell dentists, don't take the money. Set yourself up to get checks. And so every month I go to the mailbox and there's more checks. And I love these dentists. And like, that's a unique way to do it. But he, you have options, right? You really do have options. It depends on the practice again. If you're growing, if you're really strong, if you're trending well, it's very possible even in solo practice that you, like you just described, that you can take your equity out of your practice multiple times on the way to your eventual finish line, an exit day. Uh, most people sell a practice once when they're ready to retire. Mm-hmm. But if you have a growing practice and, a, and, and still love what you're doing, as, as you just described, uh, that's a great strategy to bring someone on board yeah. and to retain ownership yeah. and, to, and to bring someone else on board as the practice continues to grow. And you maybe have to expand your facility. Now your team is growing, everything's growing, but you could, we've had clients who've taken their practices, the, the, our record from a solo practice start is seven times. Wow. Taking, taking their equity out seven times on the way to the eventual exit. Yeah, we got to do a podcast on that one. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you and I have covered this. Um, so we're talking the sale part, but the, let's talk about the post-sale. So there's a little contempt in post-sale sometimes when it's not ideal. What do you see in that respect? When it's not ideal, one of the things that can happen post-sale, if the, if the uh, owner is going to stay in the practice for a while, the practice has to be large enough and strong enough and active enough so that the new owner can become productive 
right away and be able to take over the paying of the overhead expenses and, and making the note payment uh, on, on, for the purchase and, and so on and having a good income after all that. Uh, sometimes the, the continued presence of the seller is a huge, huge asset to the buyer. In effect, they help the buyer pay off the practice note. Right. Uh, sometimes, however, it can work the other way. Sometimes the continued presence of the seller can get in the way of patients readily transferring to the buyer, mm -hmm. to the new owner. And that really becomes an issue. Yeah. Uh, be because uh, it, it, it really slows the growth of the new owner. Right. And it becomes very frustrating. And that's going to end up in a conflict, conflicted relationship, guaranteed. Yeah. Now, I don't mean to make this more complex than it should be, but I do get these situations, not often, but every once in a while. Paul, I'm a partnership. One partner did really well saving. The other did not. Tell us about that. What do we know about those situations? Now, the two of us are looking to sale to sell and one is ideal, one's not. When you're in a partnership, you have something called an operating agreement and the operating agreement uh, really is describes in detail the the rules of engagement for the partnership and it has a big section on how someone retires and, and what that looks like and what that works like and and what happens uh un, under death or disability uh you know and, and that kind of thing so it can be really complex if there's a an imbalance uh, but what you have to what you have to build in, I recommend this really strongly. What I think you need to build into your operating agreement is you need to build in fact. Let's say it's two doctor partnership. Um, I think the surviving or the remaining partner should have a contractual obligation to buy out the retiring partner, mm. not a first right of refusal. If it's a first right of refusal they can opt out and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Or, or they can, they can say, I don't think I'm going to do that, but I get a big discount and that's a bit baked into the operating agreement as well, because I'm in house and I'm, and I'm your partner. Uh, and it leaves the seller hanging. Yeah. I think it's in the best interest of the seller to be bought out in that in that way, but it's also way better for the buyer because they get to continue to control their own destiny. If you do a first right of refusal and the seller has to go find their own buyer, all of a sudden you could have a situation where the where the remaining partner is suddenly partners with a person that they don't really know. And that's really not a good strategy. Yeah, that was good. That's where I was gonna go next is like, hey, yeah. listen, I wanna sell. I've been saving my partner doesn't wanna sell. <laughs> what are my options, you know, in yeah. that respect? So I don't know. Um, let's go to the other side. Again, we'll, we'll play tennis here, jump from one side yeah, of the net to right. the other. Now, um, and again, I have the, a special place. I got a special place in my heart for all dentists, but, you know, as I meet these kids that are coming out and they're perplexed, they're perplexed with a lot of decisions, you know, a lot of uh, questions. What other questions should I be asking if I'm looking to buy into a practice, Paul? I would, I would start with a, which we do, I would start with a, with a, an interview with a buyer 
and say, what do you, before we tell them anything about a practice that they might want to look at, we start with, what are you looking for ideally? How would you like to be practicing? If you were in a situation that just suited you beautifully, how would, what would that look like in five years? And, and uh, that's the kind of practice that they need to be looking for. Right. How do you want to practice? What do you want your, your uh, areas of emphasis to be clinically? How large do you want it to be? How do, do you want to grow it? Do you want a multi-doctor configuration? Are you, do you want a solo practice? You know, what do you want? And, and begin from there. The, uh, I love it when a, when a young doctor comes to us and has already looked at a dozen practice opportunities because they've seen everything, not everything, but they've seen an awful lot of different situations and circumstances. And how would you rate them? You know, which one is on top right now? Yeah. And they also come informed because when they look at your practice, uh, they're going to have some background yeah. as opposed to your practice being the first one they've ever looked at. Yeah. They have no points of reference. And, and so we love it when they, when they come uh, after having been digging around out there in the, in the clay looking for something that would suit them. Yeah, I would totally agree. They've got a lot more information. They probably have some fatigue around this process and a lot yeah. of clarity and a little bit of self-awareness that adds to that. And I was going to play the game, Would You Rather? You know, Paul, I'm a young dentist. Would you rather buy a smoking deal or a healthy situation? I know that's kind of a generalization, but take us through that. Would you? Yeah. Another way to say, when, when you're asking the would you rather, uh, in the back of your mind, you're saying, what are you really ready for? Right. You know, what are you capable of getting into right now and thriving in? Mm -hmm. What sort of a situation? But but I have a bias toward the uh, healthy practice. Amen. Yep. Uh, tell us really, why. Tell us why. I, want, I, really, now I, really I know where you're going, but I want yep. you to tell us. Yeah. I, I think that uh, I, I don't recommend that people buy fixer uppers. Uh, but. I think that's a dangerous purchase, uh, and, I, and we can talk about why. But uh, a healthy practice would be one that is um, doing well. You know, post-COVID, how have these practices recovered? And, and what are they doing now? You know, and, and uh, I had a conversation this morning prior to our getting together here with a young, with a dentist I worked with 17 years ago and I helped them put a partnership together and they're doing way better than they've ever done in their lives in, in that practice. That's not a, that's not a home run practice in, in the sense of monster cases all day, every day, but it, but they do a lot of bread and butter dentistry. They do some wonderful cases. They're fine clinicians and it's just a sweet practice. And now they're ready to go look for somebody else. Yeah. And that's going to be fun, uh, fun looking at that. Yeah. I, don't, I, I just really think that the biggest practices, the most productive and the most profitable practices I've ever seen. And like you, we've, we've seen the gamut. And uh, are, are ones like what I just described. 100%.
And yep. you don't you don't have to describe the owners so much. I mean, even if you're a doctor, just listen to this aspect of it. Your favorite days, your favorite months, your biggest months ever. If I asked you, why did you, you're like, I don't know. Like, we just got the right people here now. And so the same situation applies when it comes to ownership is finding a healthy situation. Pete Dawson said it years ago. I'll repeat it forever. The money's the byproduct. Like when you get all the conditions right, the money's the byproduct. And where where I was going with that question, Paul, because we do get this, given all things being equal, which they never are. You know, it's always better to find a good practice. It's a good investment in the right spot, but you're playing with some variables here. You're playing with an owner that might be compromised. It's not exactly the town I want to live in. It's kind of a half hour away. Not kind of, you know, so you've got to take all that into account. And what I've heard other people say in seminars is, no, you can go out to the middle of Kansas and crush it. And I'm like, have you ever been? I lived in Kansas. You can stand in a five gallon pail and watch your dog run away for five days. And I love the middle of Kansas, but I don't know that I would want to practice there. So to tell anyone to do that is just not I don't know. I mean, so you want to you want to sit down and really think about what your question is. What do you really want? Because a big part of you having success long term is you like who you are when you go to work. Right. Absolutely right. I have done practice transitions in all 50 states. So I've done a ton of traveling like you do, Kirk. And uh, and I've seen lots of other really attractive places that Ruth and I could could have easily lived in. But every time I fly home to Colorado, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I love living here. I love the lifestyle and the opportunities that, that abound in that lifestyle. And, and I think that lifestyle question, what do you want ideally lifestyle-wise, is one at the top of the list when you're talking to a young doctor. Yeah. I agree that there are places, if, if you've been successful one place you could probably parachute into any place in the country and be successful quickly again. That's true. That is absolutely right? true. Yeah. I, 100%. 100%. Now, go back to the fixer upper. Why would yeah. I not want a fixer upper? You said you usually were gonna, fixer, <laughs> Yes. Usually, fixer uppers are, are practices in decline. And they might have been in decline for a long time. And so, practices that were, were the where the dentist has fallen asleep. They're still practicing, but it's, be, but it, it, it's not alive. It, it's not healthy. <clears throat> so the practice is in decline. It's very likely that that practice, that the new owner is going to have a fee schedule that's really substandard. It's very likely that the systems and protocols in that practice are old and tired and, it, and accounts receivable management is a theory, not something they practice. And, and uh, if you're going to have to come in and put on the black hat and raise the fees, and you're going to have to come again and put on the black hat and start collecting what is produced, you're going to tick off a lot of people. Yeah. And, and, and if you're, if you're going to come into that practice and, uh, and, and encounter people who've been in hygiene the part of the practice for 25 years and they have serious perio issues that have never been discussed, you're not going to do well with that either. That's another black hat. Right. So there are just too many downside kind of risks. 
it's you might pay triple for a healthy practice what you would pay for the fixer upper but buying the fixer upper is way more dangerous 100% and you said the word accounts receivable theory i completely agree and it's actually yeah. not that it's conspiracy theory because they have their own thoughts about what's really going on and none of them are true you know so it's right. very very interesting. So I love this. And I think the point is this, is that, you know, whether you're selling or whether you're buying, you want to make sure you're going down a path in which it's going to be ideal. Now, it isn't always, but at least you can start to ask some questions. And as a dentist, it's unfortunate, but like the truth of, of aging and dynamics is, Paul, these new generations of dentists, they're going to be practicing for four decades just because they're going to be living longer. They're going to be able to be healthier Great. longer and setting up the protocols and having systems in place. Be able to say that just prepare yourself for what the future holds. Um, right. So any last thoughts you have on this? I love this topic and I want to help people as much as possible that are listening. But what else would you say on this topic, Paul? One, one other thought. If you have a healthy practice and you're selling and you're planning out, out a ways three to five years, you might have the opportunity to bring somebody on board before you go and bring them on board even as an associate but groom them uh, to be the buyer. Um, that would allow you to phase out of your practice rather than go abruptly. If you're in solo practice and you, and you work your butt off your entire career and stagger out of the office at five o'clock on a Thursday, uh, never to return again, that's a sudden way to, to uh, become depressed. For sure. Because you, this thing that's been such a huge part of your life, now beginning Monday, you don't go there. You know, and, and that becomes difficult. If you can phase out, meaning go from full time, that might be three or four productive days a week, uh, to part time, and then phase out over a period of years, you get to try on your new lifestyle that you're going to be adjusting to while you're still practicing. And that is so much better. Yeah. And it's been so much smoother. And, uh, and it also is wonderful, as I said earlier, uh, for the new owner. Yeah. Because the practice is healthy and can, and can uh, support both docs. Yeah. Amen, buddy. Amen. Now, I want you to talk about this, too. You know, buying a practice or selling a practice, first of all, don't ever try it on your own. Get a seasoned expert. And Paul, can you just enlighten us on like the the matching process? So if I'm listening to this, it's overwhelming a little bit. I mean, there's a lot to consider. With your help, I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of yours, but like take us through, are you going to walk me through this and point out any red, potential red flags if you're helping me find a practice and purchase one? Absolutely. It all begins with the, the process. Our process begins with <clears throat> sitting down with you and your spouse or significant other and, and doing a combination practice transition plan and updated life plan. So you tie the two together. That's the first thing. And then you roll into, into taking a very specific look at the practice itself and, and 
there are almost always at least two or maybe more options in terms of how to sell it and how to how to transition out of it available to uh, to the planner to the seller and that lets them um, move along in in a direction that's going to be fulfilling and, and and be a really really good outcome but we point out we point out where red flags are danger zones and we begin with saying hey what kind of person would fit here and what kind of person wouldn't let's start there love it because if you're going to do a if you're going to do a, a we're going to do a search search and placement we're going to want to know that we want to use that that ideal candidate profile as a template when we're interviewing and vetting candidates uh who would fit here and who wouldn't and the team knows the answer to that and that and so do the to the doctors but the team really understand it mm-hmm. you know uh and, and they're just a great resource in that area yeah Absolutely. And if you haven't listened to the podcast we did a little while back, what's the team's role in transition? It's a fantastic interview in which Paul shares some very good frameworks and insight in how the team, because, you know, some people say, don't involve your team. You know, you're a big fan of involving your team and making sure. Yeah. And I promise you, it will go much better when you involve the team. So good stuff, my friend. Thank good. you. Good stuff. Now, if uh, how do I find you? How do I, you know, where do I go more if I need your help? How do I get? How do I get a hold of you? It's very simple. My uh, email address is paul at lifetransitions.com. Awesome. And we would love to hear from you, and uh, and listen to what you're thinking about, and see if we can give you a hand. Yeah. Well, and I'm just going to say this, Paul is an, an incredible human being and always does the right thing. And Paul, I'm just grateful you're my friend and I'm going to have you back again and again because the sale transition, all this, com- all this complexity, we need, we need an expert helping us uh, see a better way. So thank you, my friend, for being on. So stick around while we say goodbye to everybody else. But uh, thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show podcast. I love that you're showing up here. I love that you're hanging out with us. I'm having so much fun doing this. It's ridiculous. And uh, my hope is that you'll keep showing up. And if you do me a favor, give us a four or five star review if you're enjoying this. Here's why. Because we get to reach out to more people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life bringing you the very best experts to bring you best practices to help you create a better practice and a better life so you enjoy going to work. And that's what this is all about my friends. So until we see you guys next time, keep watching the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.